leader leads and the boss drives. Similar to this picture here. You know, on the world's stage, we're kind of seeing leadership play out in various roles with the conflict going over in Ukraine. Um, people will describe President Zelensky as being a good leader and describe Putin as being a tyrannical leader. You know, I think looking at one picture alone doesn't give us a, a good or a fair constitution of what makes a leader. Every national leader can give us a glimpse of leadership for sure, but it's not complete. Social media does not give us a great understanding of leadership as well. You know, when we think of leaders, oftentimes we think of people that have a certain level of power. They could be our bosses, our pastors, our spouses, our government leaders, our military, teachers, doctors, and so many more. Leadership roles can be found even within our children playing various games. As leaders kind of rise to dictate what game we're going to play today. You can maybe see that pecking order within your own family of how people come about. Where you can see qualities in their mannerisms and speeches. Now because there are so many ways that we can look at leaders, we can also see different explanations Different metaphors that are used to help describe leadership styles, for instance. There's quite a few of those. just want to go over a couple of them with you today. You have a juggler, somebody that can wear many different hats depending on the situation that they are dealing with. You have somebody that's a chef, perhaps taking a bunch of raw ingredients and combining them together into something wonderful, making changes on the fly. You have a cop mentality where certain standards and laws are enforced strictly so as to, uh, to get the employees um, to see whether it's a good cop or a bad cop type of situation. A salesman where much of the leader's job is to sell a message or you're constantly giving the vision to the people to keep them on board. A cheerleader, somebody that is encouraging everyone that's around them, somebody that's upbeat, keeping people motivated, a charlatan. Primarily, this is more internal feelings where they may not feel adequate to lead or they don't realize their potential or that all leadership roles might have learning curves. So they don't feel they're, they're more of acting as leader, but they don't feel like they are a leader. A bulldozer. A lot of times this is a person that comes in from the outside and makes changes within a company or an organization where they just fire everybody, restructure things, and demolish without understanding the culture or the mission. A firefighter spends all day fighting fires of those around them, solving problems. And you know, there's so many more different metaphors out there. Many times a leader will have a natural hat that they wear but they realize very quickly, as leaders do, that you have to some days fight fires. Some days you have to be a bulldozer. Some days you're going to have to do this. And there's various roles in which we can do that. You know, when I mentioned these metaphors, I've asked you about your understanding of leadership today because I want you to think about your own leadership style. And before you say, I don't have one or I'm not a leader, false. 
Everybody is a leader in some regard, in some way. It could be as simple as making supper and making the decision of where are we going to eat for supper. It's always a fun decision to make. It could be as simple as getting out of bed. And you could think, really, getting out of bed? Well, if it's for you, some days that's your greatest victory. It's for, if it's for a sleepy teenager, when you have to get out the door in five minutes, you're going to see that drill sergeant come out real quick in terms of leadership to get them out of bed so you can go. As we talk about leadership today, I wonder, have we also contemplated the type of leader that God calls us to be? So as we think about these in the opening, let's open up with some prayer. Father, this morning as we go to your word, I just pray that you would speak your truths to us. That as we think about the grace that we have received and how we are utilizing the gifts of the Spirit, Lord, that we'd be open to your calling, that we'd be open to understanding how you have gifted us in so many different ways and that we can use that for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So our verse this morning is in Romans 12, verse 8. Again, we're going through the gifts of the Spirit. We're almost done with this section in Romans. And in a couple weeks, we will start in with 1 Corinthians. Um, but this is the section on the gift of leadership, the one who leads with zeal. Now, this morning, as we approach the questions I asked, I think that we need to dive into the terms a little bit to understand, um, you know, again, there's varied understandings of what leadership is and what leaders do. So how are we understanding that term in English, but then also how is this term being used within the Bible? How would the people of Paul's day understand what he is saying? You know, these terms have some varied use within Scripture and then within later writings as well within the Roman Empire. Um, for leadership being, or leads, leadership is kind of that main term, um, and most translations have something to do with leadership. With zeal, some of your translations might say diligence as well, so you have that idea behind that. You know, and when you go into a word study, this type of thing is fun for me because I get to get a wider picture of how the words are being used, get a greater sense of the understanding of the meaning behind things and understand how it's used in those places. And we've talked about this type of importance before, um, you know, when you're studying because when you know the versatility of a word, then you're able to help fit that in to the different contexts that you're talking about. The go-to one that we use often is love, how we say love in English, but in the Greek there's three different terms for that. And the main passage for that is at the end of John when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Well, twice he uses phileo, which means a brotherly love, and once he uses agape. But in the English, we just see love. But both of those terms have different meanings, and they draw out a different context for us. So it's, again, I find it interesting and fun to do this type of thing. 
And as we go through this today, again, I want to give us a wider understanding of this term to help us understand the type of leadership that is being talked about here. So the first term, proistomenos, um, this means leadership here in our passage. Um, in other areas of the Bible, it's used a little bit differently. It is used as manage in 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own house well, hold, how will he care for God's church? And also in 3.12, let the deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. So again, this is within the context of describing leadership within the church, the elders and the deacons. Um, it means to rule in 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And then it means over in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, or it's translated that way. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So we can see through these uses here of this term that there is a leadership type of understanding for sure. You're being over something. There's similarities of somebody being in charge. As we move over to Titus, chapter 3, verses 8 and 14, it means to devote. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that you have, that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works these things are excellent and profitable for people. And in verse 14, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So you see how the meaning kind of slips a little bit away from the leadership in the sense uh, of what's being described here. Now, in the literal sense of this term, it means to set before, to set in front of, that's more of the literal sense. And the construct that's used here in Romans 12, 8 is more of the passive sense. So it is someone who is being set over someone. And that's how we derive the ideas of government or leadership or something of that nature. Um, in some of the other writings, because this term isn't used so much in the Bible, but there's other secular writings where this is used, it's often used metaphorically for leadership. Um, the, the, with the literal sense of setting before or standing before someone, you then get the understanding of to assist, to join with, to care for someone. The Revised Standard Version of the Bible translates that verse in verse 8, or the part of that verse in verse 8 this way. The one who gives aid with zeal. Now, why does this matter? Why am I going through word entomology in a deep way like this? You guys don't know Greek. Maybe it's way over your head. So why go through it? You know, even though I think that the one who leads um, is a fine translation, leads in the translation of the word to stand before others 
gives us a better understanding of what the author is intending, how someone is to lead, what a leader would look like. You combine that with zeal and diligence to get that how as well. You know, this idea of governing derives from it naturally then. I think it also exposes what is meant by the type of leading to where it's not to be boss-like, it's not to be tyrannical, it's not to be driving. You know, and then when you look at it contextually, you look at the gifts before and after leading. You have the one that contributes and the one that does acts of mercy. So the understanding of the one who is caring for another person or giving aid to another person is a sequential order of welfare of the body. You know, you think again how these gifts are built are used to build up the body, to encourage the body. It goes in natural order rather than somebody that has a heavy hand and being domineering and tyrannical. Instead, it is somebody that's standing up front and giving aid and helping one another in terms of welfare. So that's the type of leadership that the gift of the Spirit is expressing here. And again, our own thoughts when we think of leaders might go to a national government, might go to somebody that's more authoritarian. So that's the interpretation that we can automatically bring to the text. But when we study the words and what they mean, it draws out a little bit more for us. That's the sense that we want to take from this term. With the second term, zeal, um, again, a lot of other translations will show diligence. Diligence is steady, it is earnest, it is energetic in your effort. We are devoted to the task, the painstaking work, the application uh, of accomplishing what you're undertaking. You know, zeal is, is very similar. It's earnest and ardent pursuit of something. So it's showing how one is to lead. Not half-heartedly, not because nobody else is going to step up and do it, but with diligence, with hard work, with earnestness. That is how we are to lead. Now you compare this term here in verse 8, and you look down to verse 11 where it says, do not be slothful in zeal. It's the same great Greek term, spaude, um, and it means haste, speed, endeavor. There's another Greek term, zelon, for zeal, where in other areas that's translated and understood more traditionally as zeal. But it shows this persistence, this drive um, within this term, where there's a determination to accomplish what is set before. You know, even in church life, you can find people in leadership that have a carelessness, uh, an idea or a mentality of just coasting on the position, on the title, where they are just leading haphazardly. But the gift of the Spirit is something from the Spirit. And if a leader recognizes that and understands their role as a leader is a divine gift given to them, then they are charged to the care of the flock of God. They will lead them with diligence as the gospel calls for it. That would be their goal. You know, as we've looked through these different definitions and combined different thoughts, um, we can see how a leader is somebody that is to, to influence others to cause them to follow a recommended course of action. It's one of the, the better general definitions that I found this week. You know, and with the analogies that were used in the opening, 
There are many ways of influence in order to guide and direct people in how we lead. But how can we use this gift in our life when it comes to leadership? Well, Jesus had some thoughts. In Luke 22, Luke 22, verses 24 through 27, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? It is, is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Now, if you recall, during the gift of serving, I read over this passage. Um, so we see how there's this point here for leaders to be able to serve. A leader is to have a servant's heart, to be able to take care of others. If you have your Bibles, you could turn over to Acts 6. It's kind of a popular passage that we're going through within this series. Keep coming back to it. But in Acts 6, I'll begin in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said had pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient in the faith. So again, as we continue to go over this passage, we can see how the young leaders of the church, um, they were speaking about what they wanted to be about as leaders. They wanted to be about prayer and the ministry of the word. They lay their hands on these seven men to carry out other roles of leadership as well within the body. You know, the Spirit has called people to lead within the body in many different areas. Leadership could be seen within the worship team, in women's ministry, in the nursery, in Sunday school, in youth ministry, in pulpit ministry, within your deacons, your elders, and so much more. There are many ways in which we can lead others by the Spirit and the grace of God within the body, caring for their needs, being servants. But many times we, we relegate leaders, and when we talk about leaders, to just elders, now, there is a hierarchy for sure that we need to understand and respect. But as I'm more and more conscious of going through this series, there's an importance in how we are defining our terms. And I don't want you to blanketly assume that when I say leaders, I'm only talking about elders. 
Because in this case, I'm talking about the various avenues of leadership within the body. And it's important to say that and to define that for where we are in our culture today because there's conflicts everywhere we turn. And of course, there's controversy within this topic of leadership. Controversy surrounding leadership tends to be between the division of men and women and the roles that they play within the church or cannot play within the church. Conversations are happening in our denomination as well. And it revolves around the subject of whether women can have the title pastor. This is the conversation that's going around because then that next step is, does pastor automatically confer the title of elder? That's the debate. Now there needs to be a strong distinction of what a godly leader is in terms of the gift of the Spirit and how it can be used in many capacities within the church body and then an understanding of leadership separated out with eldership. Understanding what we're talking about with those two things. And I, want to rec- I want us to be able to recognize that there are other forms of leadership within the church and be able to acknowledge that. I mean, anybody can get up here and run the church like an organization, like a business. There are many elder boards that are filled with businessmen on that. Not so here. Thankful to the Lord for that. We have godly men in those positions. You know, what makes a church body different than a business is the dependence on the Spirit. The book of Psalms is loaded with a plea for God, or a plea to God for he himself to lead the people. Here's just a list of some of the different Psalms. All of these verses crying out to God for God to lead that person in whatever capacity that they're asking for. And God leads in many areas. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says this, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance and the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from, de- from death to death and the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but, men, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. You know, a good leader within the body is led by God, and he seeks him out. He or she understands the gospel message, Jesus dying for our sins, giving us eternal life, and they share that freely. They are servants of that gospel message. They understand what God is calling them to do in the role that they are currently in. Many times we can think different things are beneath us when God calls us to do those little things. You know, even as we step into the conversation of uh, women in ministry, and, and again, what I mean by women in ministry is women being pastors, I want to stress that leaders are all over the church, and really there's just contention for this one title and what that would mean. Many people already have their thoughts formed on this subject. They've wrestled with the scripture on this. Some people aren't even aware of the debate and could care less. So there's a wide variety of it. 
I had to wrestle through this topic when I was in seminary, surrounded by many women going into pastoral ministry within other denominations. Now, I was raised Catholic and went into the CMA, so all of this was pretty foreign to me. And I was able to have a lot of conversations with these women who I found to be wonderful sisters in Christ. And the arguments through Scripture primarily came down or came back to their calling, that they felt that they were called by the Spirit to step into this role. Now, both sides of the issue have their stock answers and what they would say to this matter. If you are more on the egalitarian side, big word, just means you believe women should be pastors because we're all equal. Well, the argument then is how can you argue with a spirit's calling on your life? They might even use this verse in Romans 12, 8 as a proof text that they are gifted by the Spirit to lead in this way. Whereas a complementarian side, saying that there is distinct roles between men and women and that men should lead the church, would say that it couldn't be because of the Spirit, because of other scriptures in the Bible. Again, as with all debates within the church, both sides have their scripture verses. Both sides think that their verses trump the other side's verses. But this is a conversation that we're going to be having in May at the district conference. And the national president will be there for that conversation. So be in prayer for me, um, for the pastors within the area. And I bring all of this up today as kind of a setup for a quote and a point that I want to stress about leadership. The quote is from A.W. Tozer, famous CMA pastor. Um, he gives some guidance on leadership and also, I think, a warning for the church. This is what he said. He said, let us watch that we do not slide imperceptibly to a state where the women do the praying and the men run the churches. Men who do not pray have no right to direct church affairs. We believe in the leadership of men within the spiritual community of the saints, but that leadership should be won by spiritual worth. Leadership requires vision, and whence will vision come except from hours spent in the presence of God in humble and fervent prayer? All things else being equal, a praying woman will know the will of God for the church far better than a prayerless man. We do not here advocate the turning of churches over to the women, but we do advocate a recognition of proper spiritual qualifications for leadership among the men if they are to continue to decide the direction the church shall take. The accident of being a man is not enough. Spiritual manhood alone qualifies. I thought that was a pretty convicting statement for multiple reasons. As I said, I had to deal with this issue when I was in seminary. I still stood on the, the leadership scriptures and believed that men should be leaders of the church, but then I, was recon I had to then reconcile what was happening before me. At that time, 10 years ago, the population was about half and half in terms of men and women in seminary. You look around to the churches here around us in rural Iowa, you'll find about the same. Half of the churches have women pastors. I look to the state of our church, how awesome it is just to have so many men coming to church, as if that's the goal of church. 
In many churches, men are absent. If they're there, they're checked out. As I look at the situation beyond wrestling with scriptures, I find the state of the church where it is currently more of an indictment against men than anything else. How we're not stepping up in the role of godly leadership in so many different areas. We're not rising to the call of being spiritual leaders in our home and the church. So, women are stepping into that call. In some cases, still wanting men to step up, but not willing to wait any longer. I think of men and how our conversations would rather be about sports, cars, food. Not really about things of God. How the desire for God is not there in our individual lives. And then that trickles into our marriages and into our children. How as men we are emasculated in society and culture. We're not really taught what it means to be a godly man in churches. Again, we're just happy that you're here. Now I know that this applies to both sexes. But men, a lot of times, struggle with being unfulfilled in life. I think that this has everything to do with a poor quality walk with God. And because men are so unfulfilled, women, dare I say, that has an effect on you and the kids. Men, there are a lot of, there's a lot of responsibility on our shoulders. We're running around doing a lot of different things. We're working 50 plus hours a week and our life is pulled in so many different directions. We like to wear that juggler hat. We have a lot of different balls up in the air, hoping it all just doesn't come crashing down on our head. Lost, not knowing what to do. And then we come to church and we hear about another area that we're not measuring up in, that we're failing in. And if you're honest with yourself, you might know that it's true. But you might not know what to do about it. Men are stuck without a good, godly sense of direction in this life. It's a rut. That if we're open about it, if we're aware about it, it's not hard to recover from. As we're open and honest about those things that we're struggling with in life, we can attack those. We can approach those through what the Word says. Within the body, now this is me speaking, within the body I would say that the mix is pretty even. Just from outside observations, conversations that I've had, I would say half of the families here are truly led by godly men. The other half-ish would have a wife who is more godly than her husband. And probably a handful where the couple are step-in-step with each other. And the wife submits to the husband not because the word says so, but because she has walked beside him and trusts his leadership as being godly. 
We come to church and we smile. But many of our marriages are struggling. There's a lot of passive-aggressive attitudes, comments towards our spouses, some aggressive comments about our spouses. And as a church, we've offered things like counseling and a weekend to remember and other things like that. Really no takers. So I look at this role, this gift of the Spirit as of leadership, knowing full well the context and the use within the Bible. And I can use this as another opportunity to plug for elders to come on board or for a piano player to step up and lead in that way. That will come or it not. We'll deal with that as it comes. But I think that the charge and the challenge is better suited right now for our homes. Where we need to be encouraged with godly leadership. Understanding the roles that the Spirit has called us into. No matter the level of leadership that you have, the varying capacities that you deal with in your weeks, we are to do it with zeal and diligence. Not with an attitude that says, well, I guess since nobody else is going to do it, I'll do it. And then bear the bitterness and the frustrations and the guilt and just harbor those feelings. But understanding the godly role that you have been given and what that means in terms of responsibilities. Where we have an earnestness understanding that role. And I think especially for guys, we need to reassess our priorities. That will go a long way. To where, if we're so frustrated and unfulfilled in life, that we need to check our priorities whether or not we should be working 50 plus hours a week, whether or not we should adjust our budgets, whether or not we should be doing things a little bit differently. Assessing the time that we spend and where. You know, money can come and go. Time's gone once it's gone. And you have a limited amount. How are we using that time for the Lord? We need, we need to adjust our schedules so that we can build in time with the Father, investing in that relationship so that we can lead our families well. God should get our first fruits. Our walk with him should flow into the other relationships of our lives. God has given us his best in his son, Jesus Christ. Why does the world, why does our jobs get the best of us? Why doesn't our best go back to God? You know, this isn't an overnight type of change that happens. But rather, it's that sanctifying process. That lifestyle change where the Spirit is working in our lives. Where our walks with the Father are on full display. And you know, just because I might have called out the guys today, ladies, the same lessons apply to you as well. We need to dig deep into this understanding of leadership to understand the areas where the Spirit is calling us to give up these certain pursuits in our life 
so that we can focus more on him and what he calls of us, what he asks of us to stand before others, to give aid, to care for others. And yes, within the church body, but it needs to start at the home. We need to step up as men of God and lead our families in a better way because this world is going downhill fast. Many times we are left without hope. It's such a silly thought because as Christians, we know where our hope is, where our hope is to be found. It is in Christ and only in him. But because we take our eyes off of him and we focus on our works, we focus on our budgets, we focus on the type of car that we drive, and we got to keep up with the Joneses, we get distracted and taken down a path that the enemy wants us to go down. Instead, we need to simplify our lives more. Understanding that we are constantly being made into his image. We need to be obedient to what God is calling us. So we lean into the word, we understand what the word says, and then we obey it. Do not think that you've gone too far or that you're a lost cause or that there's no hope because hope is found in Christ. And we are Christians. We are a resurrection people that believe that the dead can be raised. So come Holy Spirit. Breathe on us and teach us the areas that we need to grow so we can be filled with his grace, with his love, with his truth. We need to come to a point of reckoning in our lives. Change starts with the spirits working in your life. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we come to you today, I ask that you would give us understanding of your truths. That you would teach us more about the gift of the Spirit and the different areas that we are leaders, whether that's to our spouses, to our children, within the church body, within our jobs, or simply because we're older than somebody else and they look to us for that leadership, or we might have experience in dealing with certain things. Lord, so many of us are wandering around like lost puppies, like lost sheep, You are the great shepherd. I pray that your, your word would continue to draw us closer to you. And Lord, as we are drawn closer to you, that the spirit would use that word to bring us understanding and that you would give us the strength to obey. Lord, I pray for the families here. I pray for the husbands. Lord, that you would allow them to breathe a sigh of relief. That you would take the weight that they are experiencing right now off of their shoulders and give them rest in you. Draw them close. Lord, I pray for change. Not for change's sake, but change to bring you glory and honor. 
in the life of our families, in the life of this body. That we can have a vision that seeks after you and that we can run after it in earnestness and diligence, Lord. That through the gospel message, we are able to lead others to you. May you be given the glory and praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.